But for the next few weeks, I'm going to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. I'm a debtor to the Holy Spirit. I would not be behind this pulpit if not for the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You wouldn't be there in church on a Sunday morning. Look where you used to be on Sundays. If not for the power of the Holy Ghost touching your life, changing you, empowering you, changing your want to do from one thing to another. So we're going to learn all about the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn some great things in the next few weeks. And I'm expecting, and it will happen, the Holy Spirit's going to fall. And we're going to see the Spirit of God move. Because you know what? What America needs is a move of the Holy Spirit. We've had the move of the enemy. But the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood... The Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. So when the enemy comes in like a flood, it's a precursor to a move of God if God's people pray. So we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to learn to walk in the Spirit and walk in the power of the Spirit. It's going to be a great series. I'm really excited about it. You're going to be changed. You better get ready. If you don't want to be changed, don't come back. If you want to be changed, come back, all right? Let's, it's one verse. Let's, let's just read it together. Now, quickly the backdrop. Peter has just preached his famous Pentecost sermon. And it's been so convicting that the people cried out, well, what must we do to be saved? And Peter replied, read this with me. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible, unfathomable gift. And Lord, I pray that you will help it uh, to become more real to us than it's ever been. And I pray that there are many in our congregation that will experience the touch and the power of the Holy Spirit on a level they never have. For Lord... It is not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your Spirit that true change comes. Now I want you to breathe a prayer, church, because we're, we're starting on a journey now in the next few weeks. I want you to breathe a prayer and say, Lord, change me. Help me to be more full of the Spirit and experience the power of the Spirit than I ever have. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, get ready. The wind of God is blowing. The wind of God is blowing. Now, if we were to do a little poll of churches, we were to go out there and just take a poll, and we were to ask church folks, um, tell me about God the Father. What do you know about God the Father? And most church people could, could tell you all kinds of things about God the Father. Oh, God sent His only begotten Son. God created the universe. God this, God that. They could tell you a lot about God the Father. And then if you said... Well, tell me about Jesus Christ. They could tell you even more about Jesus. Oh, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's all about Christmas. He's all about Easter. Even unchurched people could tell you a lot of things about Jesus. But then ask those same church people, well, tell me what you know about the Holy Spirit. And you're going to get a blank look. And they would be able to say, well, you know, I know the Holy Spirit's involved in salvation, and I know he's out there somewhere. But they wouldn't be able to expound much 
on the Holy Spirit, because we know least about the Holy Spirit of the three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We know least about the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to learn about Him. We need to know about Him, because you're here because of Him. I'm here because of Him, and He dwells inside of you, and He's already moved in this, in this worship service, and He's going to move more. He is, he is a person and that's why next week I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit is not an it. But there is a, there is a, there is a lack of information about him. Uh, Acts 19 records the story of when Paul first went to Ephesus, and there they encountered some disciples of John the Baptist. And they asked the disciples of John the Baptist, they said, have, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And all they knew was the preaching of John the Baptist. And look what they replied. They said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We don't even know about the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? And I believe that's what you would encounter with a lot of church people. What's the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? What did he come to accomplish? I can't see him, but I can feel him, but I can't see him. Who is he? What part is he playing in my life? How important is he to my spiritual growth? In this series, I'm going to impress your heart. I pray that your heart is mightily impressed with our incredible need for understanding who the Holy Spirit is and how badly we need his power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit like never before. We don't need religious folks. We need Holy Spirit-filled folks. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need him. I need him. I need him every day. I lean on him every day. I could never pastor a church without the help and the ministry and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're told here, first off, and I'm going to start out very fundamentally and grow from there. So this is very foundational, some very foundational things about the Holy Spirit, but they're going to bless you anyway, those of you that have been around for a while. The first thing we're told about the Holy Spirit is He is a gift. He's a gift. Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So He is a gift. That means He's freely given. His coming into our hearts is not acquired by merit. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how good-looking you are, your pedigree, your educational level, whether you're black, white, yellow, red. Doesn't matter if you're blue collar, white collar, who your parents were, where you live, none of that matters. He's freely given. You can't earn him. He, you, you, you don't pay for him. You don't work to get him. The book of Acts tells us about a wicked sorcerer, somebody really steeped in black magic, the, 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 the black arts. The, he was a sorcerer, and he was well-known. His name was Simon. And he was watching the disciples going around praying for people, and when they laid hands on them, they were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's watching this, and he says, I want some of that. So the Bible says, when he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, look what he did. He offered them money, saying, give me this power also, 
that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He said, it looks like fun going up to people, laying hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So here's my money for this gift. Simon Peter looked him square in the eye, and he said this to him. He said, your money perish with you because you thought, watch this, that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Oh, let me tell you something, church. You don't buy a blessing from God because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. We don't give God a dollar, ten dollars, a hundred dollars. One thing that really ha has bothered me is, is through the years, the, the message has moved so strongly through the church that you've got to sow a financial seed to get a financial or to get a blessing from God. And, and, and it's almost like indulgences way back in the dark ages where you had to pay money to get loved ones out of purgatory. That's the message that was brought. And the idea being you've got to buy, you've got to purchase a blessing. And it's almost like we've come to the place where we feel like God's not going to do anything unless I sow a financial seed. But can I tell you, if you don't have a red penny to your name and you know Jesus and you call out on him and you say, Lord, help me, he will give it to you. He will pour it out on you. You don't have to have money. Yes, the Lord blesses the giver. Of course, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I don't. I don't tithe to get. I tithe out of a heart of thanksgiving for what he's done for me and because I want to finance and fuel the gospel going out. That's why I give. Simon Peter said, first thing you need to understand, Simon the sorcerer, is you can't buy the gift of God. It's real hard for us to wrap our minds around something that's free because that Protestant work ethic in us says, man, don't, don't I have to earn it? Don't I have to purchase it? Don't I have to work for it? No, because Jesus hung on the cross so that you and I could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The only prerequisite to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is to repent and believe on Jesus Christ for your salvation. Repent and believe. And when you say, when you agree with God that, yes, Lord, I have sinned, I'm not going to look at you, God, and say, I haven't sinned. I have sinned. I've broken your law. The Bible says all have sinned, everyone. All is all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all turned aside. We've all gone our own way. And the Bible says the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of not some of us, but all of us, all of us. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when we agree with God and say, Lord, I know I've sinned. I've broken your commandments. I've gone my own way. I've offended you. I have cut myself off from you. I've done things that were against your will. When we say that and repent and agree with God and we say, Lord, forgive me, and, and, and I turn to Christ for my forgiveness and for my salvation, then a miracle happens. When we do that, a miracle happens. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into your heart at that moment as a gift, as a gift. He's a gift. And if you've repented and turned to Christ, he lives in you. If you haven't, he doesn't live in you. There's only one name given among men whereby we might be saved, and that's Jesus. And the Bible says that we have received, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the day of Pentecost, which was the birthday of the church. 
when the Spirit of God was poured out on that 120 up in the upper room, that's why we call upstairs the upper room. We want the Holy Spirit poured out up there, down here, in every other room. But, 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 but listen, the reason He was poured out and given to us was because Jesus prayed for us. John 14, Jesus tells His disciples, the end is coming. He knows the cross is just around the corner. And He says, I will pray the Father. And he will give you another capital H helper that he may abide with you forever. Then Jesus says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Everybody say with me, the world cannot receive him. Now look what it says, why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be where? In In you. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to go up into heaven again and leave you alone to fight the devil and fight the flesh and fight the world. No, I'm going to, I'm going to pour it on you, a helper. And he, it's called parakletos in the Greek language. It means one that comes and stands right alongside you and strengthens you and holds up your hands and walks with you and guides you and teaches you and counsels you and strengthens you and upholds you. The gift of the Holy Spirit. What a gift. He said, I'm going to send him to you. I'm not going to leave you an orphan. Now, the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you go all the way back in the Old Testament passages, the Old Testament prophets, over and over again, we read about the prophets foreseeing what we have been allowed to experience. And probably the best known is Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Here's, here's one of the great prophecies of the Holy Spirit falling upon Jesus' church. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward." that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now, I want you to notice in the next verses, we're going to see that when the Spirit has fallen upon you, supernatural things begin to happen in your life. Supernatural things begin to manifest in your life. Because we are not walking in a religion of rules and regulations. We are walking in a relationship with God, a supernatural God, a powerful God, a mighty God, who has imparted His power to His church. And look what it says is going to happen to you when the Spirit has fallen upon you. Your sons and your daughters, your kids will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Every old man in here, raise your hand if you had some dreams. All right. Your young men will see visions. You see the supernatural manifestations here of people who have received the Holy Spirit? He says, your old men dream dreams, your young men see visions, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In other words, abundantly, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And supernatural manifestations will accompany and be manifested in the lives of those who receive a supernatural Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given for three Very important reasons. So let me just lay a foundation here today. Three crucial reasons the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And thank God. Oh, and when Peter preached his famous Pentecost sermon, by the way, what did he say? Everybody there was watching this 120. They're speaking in other languages. They are are overwhelmed with joy. There is something that has taken place that cannot be denied. And, And Peter said... He looked at them and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
So what I just read to you, Peter said, you see what you're seeing here, this spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost? This is that that Joel spoke of. And that's why today we need that. We need the that. We need that that Peter pointed to. He said, this is that. It's what Joel spoke about because you're seeing your daughters are prophesying, your sons are prophesying, you're dreaming dreams, there's visions. This is that. Happy birthday to the church. Amen. Aren't you glad he gave the Holy Spirit? So everybody say, we need that. Oh, we need that. We need that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given for three basic reasons. Here's the first one, that we might receive a new nature by being born again. That we might receive a new nature. That's the first reason the Holy Spirit was given, that we might receive a new nature by being born again. Listen to what Titus uh, says, Titus chapter 3, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, so we didn't earn our salvation, but because of his mercy. Oh, we are recipients of amazing grace and profound mercy. Why did he save us? His mercy. Because of his mercy. And then he goes on to say, he washed away our sins, thank God, and giving us a new birth and new life. How did it happen? Say it with me. Through the Holy Spirit. How do we receive a new birth and a new life? Through the power of of the Holy Spirit. We receive a new nature through the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution. I'm not talking about rehabilitation. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm talking about a supernatural transformation where God gives you a supernatural heart transplant and changes you from one person to another where you undergo a supernatural transformation, not by might, not by power, not by the will of man, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when I become a Christian, I'm not embracing a book of rules. I'm embracing a person who has the power to change me. And he can do in five minutes what counselors can't do for 30 years. He can change your nature. He changes your nature. Some of you know people who are still shocked that you're in church. Because they remember you when. And they look at you and they scratch their heads and they go, I, I don't understand what happened to them. Well, I'm going to tell you what happened to them. God Almighty, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What happened to them was that they were transformed by Jesus Christ, the changer of men and women. One night, a highly respected religious leader came to Jesus under shadow of night. And without any fanfare at all, I think Nicodemus said, you know, you're great, you're wonderful, you're a good teacher. He said a couple of things to Jesus, and, and Jesus turned and said, something that was totally unrelated to what Nicodemus had said to him. But he spoke to his need. He said, most assuredly, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see, will not see. It's impossible for him to see the kingdom of God. 
Out of the blue, he tells this religious leader that this brilliant man who walked into synagogue, walked into the temple every week and taught the law of God. And Jesus said to this religious teacher of the word of God, Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. That blew his mind. You've got to be kidding me. I teach the Bible. That doesn't matter. I know Bible teachers that are as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. Going into a church doesn't get you saved. Hanging around Christians doesn't get you saved. Understanding intellectually the Word of God does not save you. Jesus said, you're going to have to undergo a spiritual transformation, and I'm calling it born again. Well, Nicodemus was taken aback, and he looked at Jesus and said to Jesus what we would have said to Jesus. He said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That makes sense to me. What do you mean born twice? Jesus, I can't be born twice. I can't be born again. And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's natural birth. We know how a a mother, her, her water will break when she's pregnant. And then you know that the baby is just about there. So that's what he's referring to. Unless one is born of water, natural birth. And the Spirit... That's the second birth. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, the natural birth. The first time you're born, you're born with Adam's nature. We naturally sin against God. We naturally go our own way. We are natural rebels against God. That's the problem with America. America is in revolt against God. And that's the natural Adam, nature, we're born with. So that which is born of the flesh, the natural birth, is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, touching your heart when you're saved, that's the spiritual birth, is spirit. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Born once, you're flesh. Born twice, you're spirit. Born once, you are the devil's child. Born twice, you are God's child. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. That's what Jesus is telling us. Jesus, the greatest philosopher, the greatest thinker in the history of the world. Not to mention the Savior. Then he said, do not marvel, Nicodemus, that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born twice. You must be born of heaven. Jesus then went on to describe how the Holy Spirit operates. He compares him to the unpredictable blowing of a wind in the way that he will suddenly, out of nowhere, touch a person's heart with conviction and bring them to repentance in Christ. He said, the wind blows where it wants to. You hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everybody who is born of the Spirit. Last night I was sitting out on my patio drinking coffee, which God made on the eighth day. You read that, right? And I'm sitting out there on my patio, and it's dusk, and I'm watching the birds, and I'm just enjoying the, you know, the heat is kind of going down some, the sun is setting, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere came this 
fierce wind. And it bent the oak tree in my backyard. It just bent it almost in half. And I had to jump up and close our umbrella and pick some things up. And, and, and the branches were blowing and the wee leaves were rustling and blowing off of this tree. And it was this fierce wind came out of nowhere. Jesus said, that's the way the Holy Spirit moves. There's Jeff Wickwire. Many years ago as a 16-year-old juvenile delinquent sitting in juvenile home with no future, no hope, no aspirations, no nothing, maybe headed to prison, and suddenly the wind blew through the juvenile home. That wind of God blew through the juvenile home. And I heard the gospel, and I got saved. How is it? How can you explain it? I stand behind this pulpit because Jesus reached out, sent His Spirit, convicted me of sin, and led me to that cross, to the cross where my sins were washed away, to the cross where the Spirit of God came into my heart and changed me into another man. So Jesus couldn't be more clear that we're born again by the operation of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, we are literally brought to life, resurrected spiritually. Ephesians 2, 1, you he made alive. You he made alive. Well, you can only be made alive if you were dead. You he made alive. And it says, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He performs in us a spiritual heart transplant. In the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied of this very thing when he wrote, watch this, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Responsive to God. Responsive to God. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And without this experience, you cannot go to heaven. Let me make it real simple. I've never scuba dived, but I know those who have. And why do you, they put on you a wetsuit? And why do they put that mask on you? And why the oxygen tank? Because you are not made to live underwater. You must be fitted to go underwater. You must be suited up to go underwater. Because if you're not suited up and fitted for it, you will drown. You will die underwater. You weren't designed to live underwater. And what Jesus is telling us is you've got to be fitted for heaven. You've got to be suited up for heaven. You've got to be born again. You must be born again, or you will not be able to live in heaven. You must be changed. This is why the Bible says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We must be fitted for heaven by being born again. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is given so that we can be born again, born twice, born from heaven, and receive a brand new nature. How many of you are glad for the Holy Spirit? Amen. Amen. Now, there's a second reason the Holy Spirit is given as a mark of ownership. The Holy Spirit is a mark of ownership that we belong to God. Listen to Ephesians 1. And when you believed in Christ, listen to what it tells us he did. The minute you said, Jesus, forgive me, he sealed you, identified you, marked you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit 
who he promised long ago. Now I want you to notice the words. He identified you, sealed you, marked you. Why? To show you that you were his own. That you were his own. It's telling us something. I'm going to be real politically incorrect here, which I love to do because I hate political correctness because it requires you to lie. And it requires you to deny reality. It it used to be that one of the signs of mental illness is when you denied reality. And since, since political correctness requires you to, to deny reality, that, that to me is a sign of mental ill. I think political correctness makes people mentally ill. I think we're seeing that in our country, but that's another message. So let me be politically incorrect. Are you ready? I'm really going to go politically incorrect. Here's what Jesus is telling us. He identified you and sealed you as his own, which must mean not everybody is God's child. We're all God's creation because he made us in in his own image. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all involved in making man out of the dust of the earth into his own image. But because he created you, Jesus is letting us know doesn't mean you're his child. You are all God's creation, but you're not all God's children. We know according to the Bible that we are his child when the Holy Spirit has taken residence in our hearts. And that's the mark, the seal, the identifying imprint of, of the reality of being God's child. He's, listen to what he says, Romans eight fifteen. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And to him, or by him, that is by the Spirit, We cry, Abba, Father. You know what Abba, Father can mean in in the Greek languages? I I love this. Daddy or Papa. That when you say, Jesus, come into my heart, I repent of my sin, he sends his spirit to live inside of you. And when he does that, you look up for the first time in your whole life and you say, Papa. In other words, let me just put it this way. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? That's the number one question that every human being must answer. The most important question in all of life is not where you're going to go to school, not who you're going to marry, not where you're going to live, none of that. The most important question is who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your spiritual daddy? Paul went on to say you are not controlled by your sinful nature, speaking of Christians. You are controlled by the Spirit. Listen, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have, so there are those who don't have, the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So not everybody is His child. I know that's not politically correct. We like to say, oh, everybody's God's children. We're all God's children. No, you're not. You're all God's creation. But you're not God's child till you turn to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. That's what it tells us. One day things got really, really real between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Jesus was riling them up. They were really mad at Jesus. They finally killed him. They were mad at him. 
And they, they proudly said, we have one Father, God. God's our Father, Jesus. Now listen to what Jesus said. If God were your Father, you would love me. You are of your Father, the devil. Now, now these are religious teachers who got up every week in the synagogue and taught the law of God. And he looks at them, Jesus, our Savior, looks at them and says, you're of your father, the devil. The devil's your daddy. Now, you know, somebody preaches like that today. We say they're not being very loving. They're not this and that. Listen, most people wouldn't go to a church that Jesus pastored. He was too truthful. And so here they are. Boy, he nails them. You are of your father the devil, and therefore the desires of your father are what you want to do. You want to do what the devil wants to do because you haven't met God as your father yet. And you're rejecting me the only way you could ever come to know God as your father. Until you're born from above, according to Jesus, God's not your father. Only after being born again can you truthfully look up and say, Daddy, Papa, and be truthful. But not only that, not only is he a mark of ownership, he's a guarantee that we're already signed for, sealed, and delivered to go to heaven. Let me give you some good news today. Listen to what it goes on to say. The Spirit, the Spirit of God living in you is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of what is coming. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that one day you who are here are going to be there. It's the guarantee. Now recently, just last week, I sent my sister in Houston a very valuable package. And because it was a valuable package, I didn't trust just putting it in the mailbox and letting the mailman take it. I went to Post and Parcel where I could watch over it, hoover over it, make sure they got it off right. So I went into Post and Parcel, and, and I put it in a box. And I paid for its delivery. And I walked away knowing it was signed for, sealed, and delivered to my sister. Later that day, she called me and she said, Jeff, did you send it? And I said, Judy, it's as good as there. Now watch this. When we receive the Holy Spirit into our hearts by turning to Christ, he seals us. He's already signed for us with the name of Jesus. He's already paid for us to be delivered by the blood that he shed for us. And, and, and so when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's God saying, all right, you're marked, you're signed, you're sealed, and you're delivered for. You are as good as there. Good as there. Everybody say with me, I'm as good as there. That's why the Bible says, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right now. You say, Jeff, now you're really going overboard because I'm sitting in a brown chair in Turning Point Church and it's getting kind of old. The chair. And we know that. We're going to get some more. But that's where I am. That's not the way God sees you. God looks down and says, they've been signed for, sealed, delivered, paid for. It's done. They're as good as here. So as far as I'm concerned, they're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's only a matter of your body catching up with the reality of what God has already done. 
Now the last thing the gift of the Holy Spirit is given for is to give us the power to live the Christian life. Now one of the things that really concerned me when I heard the gospel sitting in juvenile home, it flashed through my mind, this person, this, this young man, me, who had always been in trouble, so much trouble. The first thing I thought is, oh, come on, me become a Christian? I'll never live up to it. I will mess up instead of living up to what God expects of me. Me become a Christian? Me go to church? You have to be kidding me. And I was right, except for one thing. I did not understand the power of the Holy Spirit, that God gave us the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you shall receive power. Can everybody say that word with me? Power. From the Greek word dunamis, from which we get dynamite. You will receive explosive, dynamic, spiritual power. This is not a religion of rules and regulations and creeds. It is a walk with God who gives us power that enables us to crucify our sinful flesh and walk in obedience to God. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to give you power. Listen to what Paul told the Roman church. If through the power, there it is, if through the dunamis, if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. How do I put down the flesh? How do I resist temptation? By the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. He is God's dunamis power. And he came to give us the power to live out the Christian life. Now let me just make this simple for you. When I, was, I, I, I have almost I've grown up riding bicycles. I ride bicycles now. You know that I like cycling. And my very first bike, of course, was not a bike. It was a trike, tricycle, little three-wheeler. And I remember as a little bitty kid riding it up and down the driveway, riding my little tricycle. And I loved it. I just kind of liked being in motion. But one day, I decided I wanted a stingray. Now, those of you who are as old as me know what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, I feel for you. Stingray was a little bike that everybody wanted. Had the banana seat, had the high handlebars, had the slick back wheels like you were on a motorcycle kind of, and it was a Stingray. I wanted a Stingray, but there was a problem. I didn't know how to ride without three wheels, and so my dad got training wheels for me. So I got my Stingray, sat down on that banana seat, felt like I was big deal. But here I am on the training wheels, and, and the training wheels, you can't go very far, maybe a little bit up and down the street, but the training wheels were so that I could go this way or that way, but I would not fall. They were there, so I would not fall. And one day my dad came to me and said, Jeff, it's time you lose the training wheels. I can't do that, Dad. If you take off the training wheels, I will fall. He said, well, then let's just try one. So he took off the left one and left the right one because I was right-handed. You know what I started doing? Lean and right the whole time I rode. <laughs> Lean and right. I'm leaning right on that training wheel. I'm just leaning right because I'm so afraid if I go left, there's no training wheel and I will fall. So I turned right, went right. I was going in right circles. <laughs> and then one day my dad said, Jeff, if you really want to get the most out of this bike, you're going to have to lose the other training wheel. But I can't, Dad. I can't lose the training wheel. I will fall. He said, let's give it a try. He took it off. I sat down on that banana seat and he pushed me and I started pedaling. And all of a sudden, I realized I was experiencing a law 
that I had never experienced before. It was the law of gravity and motion. That as long as I stayed going forward, I did not fall. In other words, uh, and not only that, but I could go farther and I could go faster. And I went around the block without that training. Was, I remember feeling like I got set free. Yeah. Now listen, it's the same way when you get saved. When you get saved, you don't know, but you've got training wheels. You've got things in the flesh that you've always leaned on. I lean on that smoking. I lean on that drinking. I lean on that bad temper. I lean on this and I lean on that. And you know what God loves you enough to do? He walks up and says, you know what? You're going to have to lose the training wheels. And so he says, let's just take off. So you give up, you give up a couple of things in the flesh, and, and you find that I'm still leaning, though, on that one thing, but you don't know. You don't need that thing in the flesh anymore. As a matter of fact, as soon as you get rid of it, you are going to fly. You're going to sail. You're going to run and not be weary. You're going to walk and not faint. But you don't know it because you're leaning right. You're still leaning on the flesh. And God loves you enough to kick that training wheel out from under you and push you and say, now walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Paul said, if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. Now listen to this. He says, the law, he's talking about a law. He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from training wheels. The law, with me it was the law of motion and gravity. I realized I didn't need the training wheels. I thought I needed them, but I didn't. As a matter of fact, I didn't know what the bike could do until I got rid of the training wheels. You don't know what Christianity can do until you get rid of the training wheels and walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. Everybody say free. free. From the law of sin and death. So I wake up one day and I say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to lean on the flesh here. I'm not going to lean on the flesh there but I'm going to trust the law of the spirit of life. And that's when you run. And that's when you succeed. Can we stand together today? And let's say this together. The spirit has been given that we might receive a new nature, a mark of ownership, and power to live it out. That's why the Holy Spirit has been given. Are you thankful for the Holy Spirit today? Amen. Amen. I don't want to put you in If you're not comfortable doing this, then don't worry about it. But if you're comfortable lifting your hands to the Lord, I want us to just say a prayer having heard this. And I want us to say, Lord, in the next few weeks, let's just pray this. Lord, in the next few weeks, change my life. Empower me like I've never known it. Fill me with the Spirit. And now if you have training wheels in your life, you know it because God's already been talking to you about it. I want you to say, Lord, I give you the training wheels I've been leaning on. Instead of leaning on your Spirit, I give you the training wheels. Now I want you to picture the nail-scarred hands of Jesus taking that training wheel and walking away from you with it. You don't need it. You're not going to need it again. 
Say, Lord, I receive that law of the Spirit of life. Now, while we're praying, have you been born again? Do you know you've been born again? I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I'm going to just pray a prayer of repentance and coming to Christ. And if you've got a question mark in your mind about having been born again, pray it with me right now. Just pray with me right now. And remember... You're not going to have to go out and change a bunch of things like rehabilitation, New Year's resolution, turning over a new leaf. That's not what this is. We're asking the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and change us. So pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I repent of offending you, sinning against God, going my own way, I ask you to forgive me for my stubbornness and the sin that I have entertained. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I receive you today. In Jesus' name, and with your heads bowed, if you pray that with me, would you slip your hands up? Just slip them up and say, I prayed with you, Jeff. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I prayed with you. I prayed with you. Many people, many people. I'm going to ask you to do something. Listen carefully to me. Don't worry about anybody around you. Everybody in here has, has been there. I was there in juvenile home. Everybody's been there. But we're going to take a stand for the Lord today. And we're just going to say, I accepted Jesus. I turned to Jesus. I asked him into my heart. So if your hand is raised, I want you to slip out and come down here, would you? And let me have a prayer with you, and I want to give you something. Just slip out and come. Just begin to come. Come on, start walking. There's many of you with your hands raised. If you can't come forward in a church, how are you going to do it out there? How are you going to take a stand at your workplace? How are you going to take a stand with those old friends? If you can't do it here, you can do it here. I did it in juvenile home, and I was the only one that went down. But I did it, and Jesus changed my life. So come on. And this is really real, folks. Believe me. I don't, I'm not asking you to accept a religion. I'm asking you to accept a person. Father, I just sense you in this altar right now. Mightily touching people. How merciful and loving you are, Lord. And I ask you as we pray right now that, Lord, you will seal this decision as you already have with the mark of ownership, the Holy Spirit. I thank you for every one of these precious people whose names mostly I don't know, but you know them. You know what they've come out of, and you know what they're going home to. You know what they're going to need when they walk out this door. And I pray that you will strengthen them and empower them today. 
with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All of you that came down, look up at me. I love you in Christ. I want you to know I really do love you in Christ. And, and God, uh, listen, no man comes to Jesus. Jesus said, no man comes to me except the Spirit draws him. So this is the Holy Spirit. And I don't care where you've been, what you're looking at. Listen, God is going to help you today.